<laughs> this is our apocalypse podcast. <laughs> um, this is our six feet away recording moment. Um, <laughs> just, oh. just you know, maybe we should just do a quick summary of real life right now for <laughs> when people listen to this in the future. And they're like, what are they talking about? When they find this in a Gossip Girl time capsule, what do they understand? I would love to have a Gossip Girl time capsule. Let's, let's talk <laughs> about that for my birthday party in a minute. Um, yeah, so currently we're in the midst of the COVID-19 lockdown. For our memories 10 years from now, we have all been at home and not working and going insane. And everyone's body hair is out of control. <laughs> Especially mine. And I'm okay with it. I haven't shaved my legs in eight weeks. I have not done anything with my body hair since St. Patrick's Day. You have an official marker on the last day. Today is April 17th, yes. St. Patrick's <laughs> Day was the last day I had a shift at work, so I went home and just said, fuck it. You texted me and you said, how many weeks have you been at home now? Let me pull up my calendar. It's um, this Thursday marked six weeks since Jack and I returned from Europe. That's sad. I guess it's been about eight weeks, maybe seven or eight weeks since I've seen any other person besides Jack Peoples. I think it's been six weeks. You sound scared. I think. I, I mean, I, I feel a plethora of emotions every day. Yeah, it goes, it goes in waves, but I mean, we're all going through it and it's okay. Uh, anyway, this is largely a time for us to distract ourselves from it, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about Gossip Girl. We have a lot of time to watch Gossip Girl now. Yeah. First of all, we're gonna shift the way that we do this podcast a little bit. Um, over the um, course of the quarantine, we more or less came to the conclusion that the current outline that we had had wasn't very effective, um, at least as effective as we wanted it to be. Um, for the trajectory of the entire podcast because we do want to cover other types of shows and movies, uh, not just Gossip Girl. And the way we had it set up is that there was going to be, honestly, way too much content about Gossip Girl. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So we're going to kind of shorten things a bit and we're going to just devote an episode, a singular episode of the podcast to each season of the show. And I think that will give us a better um, grasp on the odd tropes that show up in CW shows. Yes, especially because I think we may have mentioned this in a previous episode, but when this show first aired, or at least the first couple of seasons, this was back when hour-long shows had so many episodes per season. Mm -hmm. I guess CW shows still kind of do, but they tend to split them into, like, halfway points like Riverdale for example yeah they split half the season kind of it's almost like a mini season right and then they have a pause and then they come back after a couple of months which I think works when you're still having 20 to 30 episodes in an hour-long show and it's so different because now shows are designed for binging so there's no filler episodes there'll be seasons with just six to eight episodes but they're all very fast-paced very cliffhanger Um, Whereas Gossip Girl has so many filler episodes that don't matter whatsoever. Yeah. I can't imagine tuning in uh, on a week-by-week basis and being like, all right, that's it for this week. You know, they didn't do anything. Yeah, I think we were 
relatively young when we still watched shows with that format, so I didn't think anything of it at the time. When there was always a Thanksgiving and a Christmas episode because you were supposed to watch it around that time. Always. What's funny is we often got programming well after the fact that it aired in America. I grew up in Germany. Just got to throw that in there once an episode. (laughs) So we got American programming later than most Americans living in the U.S. did, so it would be January, and it'd be like, Happy Thanksgiving on Gilmore Girls, and we're like, okay. (laughs) That's how it feels now watching it. Anyway, we are feeling like this new formatting will work, uh, especially because we have so many other shows we want to discuss that have just a fuck ton of episodes per season. (laughs) That's a great way to really hash out the main themes and the main arcs since they stretch out. Going off of that, our overall thoughts on season one of Gossip Girl just really squished together. This season does a really good job of introducing you to the entire style of the show. And I mean, that's what pilot seasons are kind of designed to do. But without this kind of slow introduction to the lifestyle and the storytelling devices, like, for example, Kristen Bell's voiceover as Gossip Girl, um, you don't really... You can't really understand the setting and I think the setting of this show like a lot of other shows that New York that are based in New York uh, Manhattan in this honestly specifically the Upper East Side of Manhattan is almost like a character in and of itself I love that I love that you said that because it's so true I'm gonna sound like a complete douchebag but having been to New York recently for the first time it's absolutely true that there's so many different neighborhoods in New York, uh, much like Atlanta, just because that's my frame of reference, that each part of the city has a different personality. And mm-hmm. Manhattan is so different from the rest of New York, if it's you've never It's different been there. from the rest of the world. Yes. Because, I mean, there's lots of other shows. Uh, for example, 30 Rock and um, Broad City both specifically design the show so that New York is almost like a character. Yes. New York is physically doing things to you yes. all the time. Um, in the, those cases, obviously, it's a little more comedic. But in this case, um, the Upper East Side of Manhattan is like almost like a villain yes um that we're supposed to understand i agree it's kind of an oppressive force Mm -hmm. it's almost like the patriarchy (laughs) you know like it frames their entire like a little (laughs) riled up recently (laughs) oh i i went fucking balls to the walls on a rant with tav on the phone the other day about capitalism and the end of the world and mad max (laughs) more on that a different time or my blog i don't know but no really the the concept of Manhattan as a presence both dictates their lives, it dictates the rules they live by, and it's also a source of pride for most of the characters. And I think that's really They never cool. leave New York. I mean, spoiler alert, they all have the opportunity to go to college at different places, and they all and they choose don't. to stay in Manhattan. And being New Yorkers is, like, their essence. Since they even split up the ideas of the Upper East Side versus Brooklyn constantly. That's the whole oh, yeah. conflict, more or less. Brooklyn is, that... is apparently Uggo world in the mind <laughs> of Upper East Siders, which is hilarious because Brooklyn's fucking awesome. Well, and Dan lives in the nicest part of Brooklyn. He yes. lives in Dumbo, which is so expensive and nice. Yeah, he lives in bougie Brooklyn. The rest <laughs> of Brooklyn is great also. Oh, yeah, Brooklyn's I great. went to New York. <laughs> We've both been there, just saying, in and the last six months. Great, yeah, I actually went there right before the... Um, before travel wasn't allowed yes, anymore. before travel wasn't allowed anymore. 
yeah, as great. did I. I'm really trying to cling to that happy memory. <laughs> anyway, that being said, I really love that you made that point because now every time I watch a show, especially taking place in a major city, I'm going to think about how they're using the city mm -hmm. and how it's its own character. I don't know. It's really cool. Yeah, settings, I mean, obviously settings are important for stories, but I think this one in particular, it's it's essential to understanding any of the conflict, any of the plot lines whatsoever, is understanding the absolutely insane amount of privilege that they are trying to communicate to the audience. It's almost difficult to grasp at first. Like, And I think that's part of the fun. That's part of the fun of not, you know, obviously as an audience, we're never going to have, on the whole, none of us have had that kind of upbringing, and it's bizarre to watch. Yeah. Um, but as far as first seasons go, I think Gossip Girl is honestly very good. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of first seasons out there that absolutely suck. And I feel like this goes for a lot of CW and teen dramas. They start off so strong yeah. and then progressively get much worse. Yes, I totally agree. <laughs> that is the case with Gossip Girl. It's the case with Vampire Diaries. It's the case with probably Riverdale. I didn't even watch the fourth season. Uh, yeah, I haven't watched it yet. Uh, I actually had a conversation with someone about that the other day. Riverdale just gets crazier. It, yeah, you're right. It's not even that it gets bad. It just gets weirder. No, I'm, it's actually honestly impressive how much they escalate the situations <laughs> each season. But I don't want to make it a Riverdale podcast because there's so many of them, even though I love that show to death. I think I really like the first season of Gossip Girl. I think the third might be my favorite season. Okay. More on that next time or the time after. <laughs> But, yes, I, I would say even, like, the filler episodes in this season are at least interesting, question mark? Yeah. They're standalone, but, like, they don't really affect the main plot devices of the first season, but they're entertaining. The character the characters are written and portrayed very strongly, even though a lot of them already go through significant changes by the end of the first season. Yes. Going off of that, they immediately come out of the bat being like, this is the character, this is how they act. We see quickly throughout, not just the first season, but obviously going on throughout the show, this is the one, one of the main pitfalls of the first season, I think, is that they try to establish strong characters who have no consistency whatsoever in the mm -hmm. way that they behave. Yeah, I will once again mention that I really feel like they intended for Chuck to be a villain throughout. Oh. We're supposed to forgive him. He was a sexual assaulter in the yes. first episode. He forces himself on not one, but two main female characters within the first five episodes. The first episode. We You're talked right. about this. Yes, it's the it first is. episode. <laughs> I think they really wanted him to be like the sleazy character who's always pulling shit like that and acting as the villain. And then they abruptly, like maybe two to four writers meetings into the show were like, man, maybe, maybe we'll tweak him a little bit. Let's give him a crazy redemption arc. And I, they do, you know, he actually becomes one of my favorite characters, but this is always a complicated discussion. You, you don't forget the fact that he did that in the first episode. He was a slime ball. I, I mean, I think that intriguing and complex character arcs are developments, and like developments like that are key to a great story. I'm not going to say that a character has to stay the same. That's boring. But Gossip Girl is doing constant 180s yeah, you all gotta, the time. You gotta earn it. And they, <laughs> they do make Chuck earn it in particular over the course of the series. 
but it can be a little jarring. I think even Vanessa kind of falls under that category. Cause when oh, we, yeah. When we first meet Vanessa, we're like, who is this crazy woman with no boundaries <laughs> who's, who's, like, obviously infiltrating Dan's new relationship? And then they kind of abruptly deal with it. And then I would say maybe midway through season one and beyond, you're thinking, actually, you know what? She's the most level-headed person in the whole goddamn show. You said it before, and obviously if you haven't watched the show, this won't make a whole lot of sense, but um, our key movers are Serena, Dan, Blair, Chuck, Nate, Vanessa, Jenny, Eric, Lily, and Rufus. Okay, there's the laundry list. But as far as uh, what they do for season one, Blair is dating Nate and has been forever. There's no chemistry whatsoever between them, and no one likes it. Blair and Chuck start to have eyes for each other, and it's revealed that Serena and Nate had had a thing back in the past and fucks their whole relationship up. Blair and Chuck's sexual tension is honestly so hot. Yes. So palpable. And I think a lot of people who are fans of the show can agree it's one of my all-time favorite TV relationships. It's definitely one of the best plot points of the series. Mm -hmm. Throughout the series, not just in the season. It is, and it's established in the season so well. Like, you are rooting for them right off the bat. The development of their relationship is one of the better paced (laughs) character arcs. That and Jenny, which we'll touch on more in a moment. Meanwhile, Nate and Vanessa kind of have a thing. Vanessa kind of stops being a crazy stalker person who just enters Dan's bedroom from a fucking fire escape whenever she wants to. And then she meets (laughs) Nate, and they have, like, a cute thing. And it makes sense because they are both the most down-to-earth characters. I have a lot of love for Nate. <laughs> I we think we kind of talked about this before, but I didn't care about Nate at all the first time I watched it through. And now he's, he's the best. I, I think now that you are older and watching Gossip Girl, you probably appreciate Nate because he's going through so much. And he's the most normal kid who just wants to go to a school. Yeah. I love him and Nate together, or <laughs> and Vanessa together. It is my absolute favorite relationship in the show. I mean, I said that Blair and Chuck were my one of my favorite TV relationships, and that's true. They're like a ride or die. They are. They are. They're just way up on another level. But Nate and Vanessa, they just make so much sense, and they're so adorable together. And it's really frustrating that the writers kind of gave up on that really quickly because... Yeah. Uh, we see them kind of get together in the beginning, middle of season one. And then on this, in the season finale, Nate and Chuck are just walking down the street. And Chuck is saying, hey, how are things with Vanessa? And he says, oh, we broke up. LOL, whatever. It is so poorly handled. It's, it's terrible. And it's very obviously just to do a hard reset for all the characters. All the characters have to be single going into season two. And they gave them an off-screen breakup, and I'm still mad about it. And it's funny, it's really funny considering throughout the entire series there are so many dramatic on-screen breakups. Or, like, dramatic on-screen, nothing is actually happening, they're just making drama out of nothing. And I'm like, you couldn't even give Nate and Vanessa a scene? More on that later. Maybe Eric was in that episode, so she couldn't have been in that episode. Oh, good point. To finish up our short list of the main character arcs, Lily and Rufus also have one of the most compelling developments. It's kind of all over the place, though, in my opinion. Lily's Serena's mom. She's been married, like, 5,000 times. (laughs) Rufus is Daddy Rufus. He is Dan and Jenny's dad. Rufus is Daddy with an I. Yeah, he's 
He is good. <laughs> He's good. <laughs> On kind of a weird note, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna turn this into a Wuthering Heights podcast, but Wuthering Heights is one of my favorite novels of all time. And I kind of feel like Gossip Girl's parental romance is borrowing from Wuthering Heights. If you're not familiar with the story, I won't go into it because God, what a fucking wild ride that is. But the later half of Wuthering Heights revolves around the next generation of characters and living out the romance that their parents were robbed of. And maybe, I don't know, maybe I'll turn this into an essay or something. Part of me, part of me wants to research this trope in TV shows where we see the next generation, aka Dan and Serena, living out the passion that their parents shared. But the weird element is that the parents are still alive. <laughs> They're kind of pursuing the romance again. It's not like taking over the family business. No. It's taking over the family inherited romantic trauma. <laughs> well, what's funny, though, is obviously for the purpose of shows like this, the parental romance is reignited when the new generation first starts to notice each other. You know, you know what I'm saying? It doesn't run in the family to be attracted to somebody. To be attracted to Humphreys? Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. But that's what I kind of like about it, you know, you get the impression that Lily and Rufus have not interacted in a very long time until Dan and Serena start being in each other's lives. She does this and then she marries sharp ass anyway. Yeah, so Lily and Rufus's, um, their trajectory for season one is, you know, they kind of a will-they-won't-they they that absolutely mirrors their children's will-they-won't-they. They. Lily, it turns out, is actually engaged to Char Ass, as we previously mentioned. Yeah, we will only be Bart referring Bass. to Bart Bass as Char Ass. From now on. Um, take, uh, no, take notes. And in the final episode is Lily and Shart's <laughs> wedding. <laughs> uh, I don't know why you're laughing, but we agreed to only refer to him like that. I think it's extra funny to just call him Shark. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Uh, <laughs> anyway, the last episode, the finale, is their wedding, where everyone decides to wear the worst clothes that have ever been made. Uh, but we'll get we'll get to that later. Um, so Lily goes through with the marriage to Shart, and it's heartbreaking for Rufus. And that's where we're set for season two. Is it's no heartbreaking. One is- it's total ass. It is ass. We're losing our minds. It's okay. I guess the final character arc is Jenny's, which I think is the most compelling and well executed. It's the one that makes the most sense for what the show is actually about, if that makes sense. No, you're you're right. Well, I mean, we haven't gotten to Dan and Serena yet, because they're the main Thing for season yeah, they one, have the whole Romeo and Juliet, we're from different worlds thing. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, now you both could go to like a $50,000 per semester <laughs> private high school. You don't have that much not in common, I guess. Um, your parents, Dan's parents, even though he's poor boy, they probably pay in rent on a monthly basis more than what is in my bank account ever. <laughs> more money than I've ever had. Yeah. So there's that, but... I think Jenny's character arc is really cool because it's about it's about becoming popular, which is a pretty common trope, but it's a lot more than that when you see the, the way these teenagers live their lives. I really like 
all of her scenes with Rufus throughout the season because they just get really dramatic and emotional. You know, it's because Rufus is arguably the only good parent. That's another. Tr- We're getting ahead of ourselves, but that's another trope. In these shows, there's always only one good parent. <laughs> Lily kind of goes back and forth. She's kind of shitty. <laughs> okay, we'll we'll just go ahead and say that Lily and the mom, like uh, who's it, Betty's mom from Riverdale, mm-hmm. are the same character. Yes. They're exactly the same character. Yes, they really reel you in and then push you away. You think they're cool. You think they've learned some lessons, and then they. They're also posh ladies who have a history of dating a bad boy. Yes. Ooh, so true. This is going in the essay. Everything has a, a skeleton outline. That's oh all. I'm, just, I'm all. All I'm saying. Janie spends the majority of this season working her way up that high school totem pole, and uh, we already can see a lot of um, her development of acting in a way that is not herself, um, being mean to her family, and... She really goes cuckoo bananas. She becomes ruthless in doing whatever outlandish things need to get done to secure her social status. Mm -hmm. So, obviously, the main focus for season one are Dan and Serena, um, they are, like Katie said, the Romeo and Juliet story. They're the people we're supposed to root for from the pilot episode. We see Serena get off the train, Dan staring at her. It's obvious that they that he has pined for her for years, um, which is somehow not creepy at all. And over the course of these episodes, it's a whole will-they-won't-they they thing. And pilot episode, uh, they go on a date, and they keep working up towards their actual relationship and it's it's established that dan is a poor boy from brooklyn and serena is always going to be the sparkly it girl and for some reason it'll never work between them you you know the song uptown girl by billy joel yes that is the first season in a nutshell (laughs) like it actually is maybe he should actually write the gossip girl creators and ask for some royalties or something they didn't explicitly use his song, but they certainly captured the They emotions. use a lot of good music. They do. They do. Um, they make it through basic ups and downs, but are consistently rivaled with their societal, societal differences, and it always comes up that she's super rich and he's not. This is evident in some of the highlight episodes, like the Cotillion episode, um, the Masquerade episode, where he's not invited to things. And um, it all comes to a head eventually when Serena's old friend Georgina shows up. Uh, Georgina is, is pretty obviously a terrible influence on Serena, who, side note, I feel like really, really needs to grow a backbone. We will discuss that yeah. more as the seasons go on, but Serena basically just giggles and is like, oh my god, I can't believe a person likes me, even though she's the most popular person in the city. She like cannot grasp the fact that people pay attention to her and like her and think that she's beautiful and hot and fun to be around and she has no backbone whatsoever and just does whatever people tell her. I would love to get a psych professional on this podcast sometime to do an analysis of Serena (laughs) and confirm if she maybe has a personality disorder (laughs) dependent on her perception of other people and how they see her. It goes deep. You can tell. Any time, I mean, it's Blake Lively. She's the hottest woman who ever lived. <laughs> and any time a guy bats an eye at her, she's like, "Oh my god, you like me? What?" It drives me crazy. I would just be a lot happier if Serena were 
strong like Blair is, like headstrong and knows yeah. what she wants. But well, I guess that's I can't what have it all. That's what makes them an interesting friendship to observe, right? <sighs> yeah, you can't have more than one Blair on the show. It would be criminal. <laughs> but I want Jenny. five Blairs. <laughs> I just want five Blairs and five Chucks, and that's it. That would be a perfect show. <laughs> I only want shows from now on to have a Blair and a Chuck, especially because their couple name is Chair. <laughs> I guess it's better than Bluck. Mm. Or Buck. What's Dan and Serena's? Darina? Who knows? I don't know. I don't think people care about them enough to have a couple name. Anyway, speaking of Georgina, she really arrives in like the last five episodes of this show and it, she's like a goddamn tornado she really <laughs> derails serena's life georgina is just dark serena yes she dresses the exact same as the exact same hairstyle but has like smoky eye she's a brunette <laughs> and she wears black so the tldr on their relationship is they clearly used to party and get into shenanigans and do illegal shit together all the time mm -hmm. again wild because they were what 14, 15. Yes, all of this is quote unquote in the past, and she's 16 now. It's concerning. You really can't wrap your head around it. I can't, because I was a loser in high school. <laughs> I think. Um. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I don't even know what to say about them. <laughs> I don't know what to say. So, I mean, when Georgina shows up, Serena kind of just all in all loses her goddamn mind. Um, because Ser Serena realizes that Dan puts her on a pedestal and she wants to maintain that gorgeous angelic view of herself that he has because she's finally put her past behind her. But when Georgina shows up, stuff starts going awry. She realizes Georgina's a bad influence on her and she apparently would rather Dan think that she cheated on him than know anything about her past with Georgina. Mm -hmm. Which, to me, sounds very unhealthy. Well, it's really strange when you consider the fact that up until... Okay, here's the big thing. So you find out that Serena's involved in a man's death from a drug overdose. Basically, she was just in the same room. Yeah. And she's actually the one who called 911 for him, even though Georgina did not want to, because she didn't want them to get busted with drugs. Anyway, that being said, like you said... She would rather Dan think she cheated on him than explain that. I get it. Scary. But also, it's interesting when you consider that up until this point in the series, you think the reason that Serena ran away from New York was because of sleeping with Nate. And Yeah, I guess she doesn't even feel bad about that. <laughs> they, I think they really have us believing that that to her was her, um, her turning point. She regretted That was the cat that was in her bag. That yes. was the skeleton in her closet. Yes. But then you find out that no, immediately after she slept with Nate. In the same night. It was the same night. Yes. She went to a hotel to hang out with Georgina and they tried to film and a her. a grown ass man. Yeah, they tried to film a grown ass man banging her, which is like oh. <laughs> Well Serena didn't Serena didn't like that. No, no, she it was really uncomfortable actually to watch. She's clearly not into it. And it wouldn't even matter if she wasn't do it because she's like 15 and this dude's 28. Gross. It's just interesting that you realize the actual reason she ran away is because she thought she was complicit in someone dying. So Georgina kind of digs that back up. She blackmails Serena. She impersonates a girl named Sarah. Classic. So Serena tells Dan that she cheated on him to get him to go away 
she's not protect ready, him. Yeah, she's not ready to tell him the truth or whatever. Blah, and blah, so blah, he's blah. obviously upset. Quote unquote, Sarah, who is actually Georgina, becomes friends with Dan, is just pretending she's this girl next door, and they end up making out at the Lisa Loeb concert. <laughs> There's this one of our favorite events to talk about um, that they all have to go to is this spotlight on the 90s concert that Dan's dad Rufus is performing in and for some goddamn reason actual Lisa Loeb is there. We will talk more about this in just a moment but there are highlights of the show that just have to do with accepting the crazy reality of their <laughs> world and one of them for me is the fact that Lisa Loeb just kind of pops up more than once. And she plays herself so Lisa Loeb is essentially rewriting her own canon. Yeah. It's like alternate universe Lisa Loeb. <laughs> it's so strange, but I love it. Also, I love Lisa oh, Loeb. so funny. So si Speaking of which, the, the spotlight on the 90s concert is one of my favorite episodes because we finally hear oh my the dumb-ass song that Rufus wrote about Lily when they were <laughs> in their 20s or whatever. It's the only song his band ever plays, and it's so it's so, an earworm. I get it stuck in my head, no joke, once a week. <laughs> ever since I it saw... It was stuck in my head two days ago because yeah. we, we, we re-watched that episode. And it goes, every time you walk away or run away, you take a piece of me with you there. <laughs> Those are the lyrics. And what I love is that's clearly the chorus. And when you're watching this episode where they perform it finally, they strategically cut to other characters talking <laughs> during what should be the rest of the song. Because the writers were like, we're not going to, we're not lyricists. We're not going to try and make a full song out of this. We're just going to have him say, every time you walk away, run away, you take a piece of me with you there. We're going to have him do that about three times. And then we're going to cut to Vanessa confronting Georgina so that you don't have to hear any more lyrics. And All right, the it. chorus one more time. Now show Dan and quote unquote Sarah, but really Georgina making out. Yes. Great, that's enough time. Cut. Good, cut. Good scene. <laughs> anyway, love that song. You have no idea what it's like to have that refrain stuck in your head once a week until you actually hear it for yourself. <laughs> All right. That's the um, second to last episode in season one. And then the finale is, like we said, Lily and Shart's wedding. And this is where Dan and Serena end up actually breaking up and kind of infuriating <sighs> because they worked for an entire season to get them together. And usually, I feel like shows will, they'll pick out a couple that's supposed to be together, like take Pam and Jem, for example, and there's kind of a will-they-won't-they they for usually like two or three seasons before they finally make it work. Same mm -hmm. thing with Ben and, and Leslie, or yes. even April and Andy. Those are the two shows I watch, so. <laughs> um, <laughs> but my point is, it's pretty rare for a show to do like, immediately they're together and then they're broken up by the end of the first season just a hard reset it's like the first season didn't even happen right it, it does feel like it undoes everything they worked towards throughout the first season i guess vampire diaries does that too yeah but that is such a like i love vampire diaries but that is a much worse written show you think vampire diaries is i think so yeah probably whenever we get I to I can't that. wait to talk about the Empire <laughs> Diaries. I'm so excited. So, yeah, Dan and Serena split. As Sav said, they have to make sure everyone's broken up at the end of season one to, like, do a clean slate, even though it 
it's bad writing. Not that we expect quality writing from this show. Well, yeah, that's what, it's very frustrating. You can at least have Chuck and Blair together. Like, give me something. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to mention Chuck and Blair. Um, Chuck up and leaves her at the helicopter pad. Yeah, you, you think they're finally going to get together, and then Chuck's dad is literally shart, talks to Chuck, and says, I really like that you're dating Blair. You know, it's going to change you, spending a whole summer alone with her. Shows the responsibility, and Chuck is apparently realizing this for the first time. He freaks out, throws away the flowers he was going to give her, doesn't make it to the flight, and it is implied he hooks up with another adult woman <laughs> which he is regularly doing so wild I, I wrote our notes I said uh, Chuck abandons Blair on the helicopter pad which is something I wish I could ever have the opportunity to complain about being stood up at my helicopter pad because <laughs> at least she has a helicopter to leave on at least you know? she's going to europe in a helicopter also i just gotta say her outfit in that episode is baller she's wearing like a beautiful navy blue summer dress with like white detailing very nautical <laughs> very i'm going to europe so so everyone's everyone's broken up um except for lily and Shart. I guess in a count. way, Lily and count. Rufus are broken That's up. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't count, because we want her to be with Lily. We want Lily to be with Rufus. Um, and I have, a, I have mixed feelings about where they put everyone at the end of season one, and I think it's it's kind of a shallow move to do a hard reset. It's really just kind of to be like, who's going to date who in season two? And they just do a merry-go-round. Yeah, by um, the end of this series, everyone has dated everyone. To go into more tropes and stuff, basically every episode for the whole show like we said before, revolves around a specific event that everyone has to attend for some unnamed reason. Somehow, everyone always ends up there whether they were invited, whether they were, uh, whether or not it makes sense for their character to even be there at all. Uh, they all end up there. And some of my favorite events for this season are the masked ball. The, Obviously. Yes. And the kiss on the lips party from the first episode. Oh, yeah. Cotillion is a great one. Uh, we already talked about that one. And we already talked about the spotlight on the 90s charity concert. That's a personal favorite for <laughs> Katie and I forever. <laughs> I just want to throw in Sav's note on that end is, for some goddamn reason, Lisa Loeb is there. <laughs> and Lily, then Lily, Lily and Shart's wedding. wedding. Excuse me, Shart's wedding. Which <laughs> we can talk about in a minute is the maybe the most ugly wedding <laughs> So, they can afford a billion dollar wedding, and it's horrible. It's ugly. Everyone has the worst clothes I've ever seen in my life. Like, you you know that scene in that episode of The Office where the little kid is showing a picture to Kelly, and she's like, oh my god, I love it, and then she looks at the camera and just, like, shakes her head. <laughs> like, no, she does not love it. That's what it feels like. That being uh, said, we're supposed to love their outfits, and maybe we're crazy, but we agree that those... So it's Vanessa, Blair, and Serena wear the three worst dresses of all time. They look like the neon radioactive Powerpuff Girls. <laughs> it's awful. It looks like someone found discount floral fabric at a forgotten bin at Joann's and then <laughs> turned it into haute couture. Serena's wearing a yellow and black monstrosity. She's presumably the maid of honor, slash at least some... She stands up at the front during the wedding. Yeah, she is the daughter of the bride, and she looks like... A, I don't know, like a fucking My Fair Lady bumblebee. <laughs> it's a horrible outfit. It's a ruffly 
neon yellow dress, and she has black gloves. Yes. And the the dress has a cutout where her boobs are pushed up to her chin. Yes. It's very unflattering, which is so hard to do. We've talked about it before. I don't always love what Serena wears, but she is by nature a beautiful person, so she can kind of wear whatever she wants. This dress is horrible on her. It is distracting from her gorgeous face. And it's also distracting from her mother, who is the bride <laughs> and is actually wearing a beautiful gown. Uh, so we got Serena. Then we have Blair, who's wearing, I want to say, a hot pink floral halter dress that looks like something your 70-year-old aunt would wear on a cruise ship. <laughs> they all have flowers in their hair, too. Yeah, I guess they the dress code... matching flowers. The dress code was everyone pick a color and stick with it and make sure it's flowers. So, and the thing everyone's wearing, wearing a too fake is flower. It's, um, it's one of those bubble dresses. It's, like, hemmed at the bottom so it creates, like, a bubble like shape. A, a poof. Which is not flattering on anyone. Ever. <laughs> And then Vanessa is wearing the orange version of both of those dresses. So it's bright, oh, but Jenny bright, made it. bright orange. And she also has a bright orange, huge-ass orchid in her hair. It's just, you made three unbelievably hot women look terrible. My favorite thing about Vanessa's outfit is that Jenny apparently made the dress like Vanessa steps out of their apartment or whatever and Jenny's like, she's wearing my latest creation. And Nate's like, wow, you look beautiful. And I'm like, <laughs> and you're telling me also that those three didn't coordinate? They're that, all wearing the brightest-ass floral shit I've ever seen. That's what I'm saying. Did Lily's wedding invite say, hey, I want everyone to look dumb as hell? <laughs> Pick a color and a flower. Make sure you wear a fake flower in your hair. Go wild. <laughs> it doesn't seem like a Lily move. That's, that's what I think is the most frustrating is in no fucking hell would Lily want <laughs> anyone to dress like this at her wedding. She is by nature a control freak who wants things to look a very specific way. And she's always wearing neutrals. It doesn't make any sense that she want people looking like fucking bright ass psychos at her wedding. I don't anyway. get it. I don't get it. But the two main fashion icons of this show are obviously Blair and Serena. And I really, really love what they established in the first season of fashion kind of explaining who the characters are as people. For example, Serena always wears so much gold, yellow, sparkles, sequins, she, I think they're just kind of screaming at you. She's the blonde it girl all the time. Yeah. Um, her cotillion dress is even this bright, shimmery gold. And we've already talked about her horrible dress at her mother's wedding. They decided yellow was her color. It's a yellow ass dress. <laughs> and I feel like the style choices are interesting. And I think it kind of communicates Serena and who she is. Is the She wants to be humble and she wants to be this new version of herself but all in all she'll always be that it girl who's like spontaneous and kind of parties whereas Blair is known for her polished Kate Spade-esque look and she wears headbands on headbands and mostly wears neutrals navies and stuff like that so I think that tells us that she's more level-headed and logistical and future president of the United States she has an aura of maturity mm -hmm. I mean not actually mature she's mature in some ways but most of the time she's just so fucking conniving and manipulative and childish, but I love her. But her outfits definitely reflect growing up in Manhattan, which is kind of awesome. I really love her clothes. A lot of them are very, I guess, like schoolgirl sexy, but still mm. very stylish and tasteful. Yes. Katie and, I were, Katie and I were on the phone yesterday, 
And we kind of came up with this skeleton outline of how they do every single episode. Oh my god. Oh my god. Yeah, okay. There's crazy shit always happening, but... Yeah, as, as we just said, every episode is an event. And it just gets funnier as the series goes on. I can't wait to talk about season two for this particular reason. Event episodes work because it's such an easy gimmick to fall back onto. I feel like there is a script formula the writers use for every event-based episode. It's like they're all huddled in a room and they spin three separate plot wheels. <laughs> like Wheel of Fortune style. Wheel number one is like, okay, what bullshit rich people event does this episode revolve around? You spin it, lands on Cotillion. <laughs> Classic. It's like having a random number generator to structure the plot. Okay, so like wheel number spin two. Spin it again, it's Charity Ball. Yeah. And you know, some of them are repeatable. Charity Ball is very oh, repeatable. that's at least two every season. There, There's always some charity and you never know what it's for. Like, poor shih tzus in Alaska or something. <laughs> wheel number two is who has been uninvited or not invited at all to this event and how will they retaliate? <laughs> I swear to God, like, this is not an exaggeration. There is always someone who hasn't been invited or, quote, is not supposed to be there. Or has been uninvited. Which is way worse. Mm -hmm. It's way worse. Wheel number three is who is the villain orchestrating the event? <laughs> Usually Blair, sometimes Lily. Uh. Sometimes Jenny. Or, you know, who is scheming at the event. Yes. Uh, and then there's an optional wheel number four, which is how will Dan somehow wind up at this event, even <laughs> though it makes absolutely no sense for him to be there. I think we talked about that in his first getting together with Serena. He always happens to just show up wherever she is. Yes. Sometimes at the suggestion of others. Jenny is like, you should go find her at this bar. <sighs> you know, we've come a long way with denouncing stalkers but stalking used to be considered very romantic for tv purposes yes so yeah i think the wheel number three who is the villain is also just who's gonna fuck shit up today yeah who's the wild card at this party <laughs> i mean i get it you know especially with a show as robust as this where crazy shit is happening all the time how do you keep escalating it you have to go back to a tried and true episode format and as long as all of the options are bonkers, you'll always have a combination that works yeah. for an episode. But that's also why it loses speed by season six. True. You can only have so many charity balls. <laughs> you can only repeat Cotillion so many times. They've already repeated Cotillion by the third season. Yes. There's already another Cotillion for some reason. When it doesn't make sense to even do it because none of them are in high school anymore at that point. <laughs> no, now they're quote-unquote mentors. It's kind of like Lee when all of the main characters graduated and they decided to keep doing the show and instead of just having a completely new cast, they brought back characters who should be in college and it just makes you really fucking depressed. Yes. <laughs> Other fun tropes. I have been struggling to think about how I want to phrase this other than saying the nonchalantness of Upper East Side antics. Oh, how nothing for them is punishable? Yes. So I was thinking in particular about the fact that the season wraps up with you finding out that Serena is complicit in someone's death. And this was, <laughs> this was back when you had to wait. You had to wait a week to know what happened. Because she ends an episode by telling Blair, I killed someone. And you're like, <gasps> And Gossip Girl doesn't even have anything to say about it like she normally does. But if you're like me and you only live in a show hole now, <laughs> 
you just watch the next episode immediately, and then you learn, oh, she didn't like, she didn't like shoot someone with a gun. Like, <laughs> she was in a room where a person overdosed, which is very different. She feels responsible. We get it. I was not really blown away. You know what I'm saying? By the time she says, I killed someone, I'm like, okay. <laughs> Maybe that's just me, but I, I wanted to go back and reflect on some of the like most bonkers moments in season one and how they, admitting that you were involved in a character's death is kind of, it just like pales in comparison. Point them, you're giving me this face, like what, are you a crazy person? Yes, I am a crazy person. So, for example, <laughs> right off the bat, throughout the show, 14 to 17 year olds are regularly ordering martinis. Chuck, a 16 year old boy, owning a burlesque strip club. <laughs> I don't care that his father is like, Mr. Real Estate. <laughs> the fact that a, a child, a, a boy child, is allowed to own a like sexy club. I know it's it's not like it's a he brothel. can't even technically drink there. Yeah, are you allowed to own property under the age of eighteen? Oh, I don't. Yeah, I think so. But um, really, I mean, there's like pop stars who buy stuff. I don't know. Okay, well, I guess I didn't fact check that before. <laughs> So I don't know, but I do think it's odd that he he owns a, a bar specifically. Yeah, because it makes you wonder. You have he's... to be eighteen to view, like to go into strip clubs. Yeah, and you have to be twenty one to have alcohol. Uh huh. So none of that th that math doesn't work out exactly. It also kind of makes you wonder when did any of these characters start drinking? Twelve. 11. <laughs> no. Chuck is regularly walking around his suite. By the way, he has a suite. One of my favorite plot points is when he and Shart move in with Lily and her family, but then Shart is like, you have to move back to your suite because you're being too disruptive in this family You're dynamic. being put in timeout into your penthouse. Yeah, and it's like a whole sad thing where he's like, I'm moving back to my suite because I've been kicked out of the family. And I'm like, woohoo. You have to go <laughs> live alone in a nice hotel penthouse. So yeah, he, goes re he returns to his suite where he's just regularly pouring probably multi-hundred dollar whiskey into a glass and sipping it like it's no big deal. Bitch, I was drinking Smirnoff Ices at that age. <laughs> if you had given me whiskey with no mixer, I would have been like, <laughs> when did he develop this taste? I can barely taste? drink brown liquors now and I'm almost 25. I know, dude. I am so close to 30, which is ew. <laughs> <laughs> and I You're not so close to 30. I'm closer than I ever have been. Okay, but that's true for everyone under 30. That's true. I'm not trying to be weird about it. Also, 30's not old. Like, and I'm no Says way... Says the person worried about it. Am I no way saying that 30 is old? It just feels weird that, I don't Your know... Your age rounds up to 30 now? Yes. Shut up. Anyway, <laughs> I also do not love hard liquors by themselves. I don't know if this is better. The episode where Georgina gets Serena to, like, reconnect. She says verbatim, nothing gets me talking like a Cosmo. I'm allowed to say that because I'm 25. But even so, I would never say that because what the fuck? Nothing gets me talking like a Cosmo? Nothing gets me talking like fucking an absinthe-based cocktail, okay? Like, <laughs> what are these standards they live under? What do you mean talking? She means like secrets, right? Yeah. She's talking about, yeah, that's, that's kind of what she's talking about is just going buck wild, talking secrets and. At that age, I would have been like, nothing gets me talking like a sweet tea. <laughs> it's about the sugar and the caffeine. <laughs> 
I don't know. It's just funny that they're mini adults. It's probably what a lot of rich children are like. Really? I would think so. I wouldn't know because I wasn't a rich child. I mean, yeah. And I didn't know many. We will never know. Rich children. We will never know. But children from obscenely wealthy families like this, I'm sure they they do have a weird sense of adulthood. Like, they think they're adults. Case in point, like, Chuck is just, like, the most fun example to me. He's like, oh, I play squash. And I'm like, who plays squash if you're not 75? <laughs> Like, it's a sport where you wear a sweater vest. And argyle. Argyle everything. And like a little old man hat. <laughs> I think Katie went off on this, but her her favorite example of just crazy, crazy shit that they do, even more so than Serena saying she killed someone or whatever, was Jenny stealing a dress. I'm not over it. <laughs> I'm not over it. Like, that episode stresses me out. I, I have to... <laughs> When I rewatched it, I was like having heart palpitations because it is <laughs> it is such a stressful scenario. Have you ever accidentally stolen something? No. I accidentally stole a pair of sunglasses once when I was probably 15 or 16. Did you freak the fuck out? Yes. Yeah. I accidentally stole it from a Charlotte Russe at the mall. <laughs> I put the, the sunglasses in my pocket because I thought I wanted to buy them. And then I left the store. And the thing didn't go off. No, Amazing. Didn't. So I took it. I did take it back. Just for the record, mom and dad. I felt so bad. You're a good noodle. I can't imagine that because I also would feel horrible if I actually yeah, stole yeah. something. It was like a $5 pair of sunglasses. <laughs> Jenny intentionally steals a red $15,000 Valentino dress from one of her new bitchy mean girlfriends because she needs money to buy a different dress. Also, like, what? Pause. Why not just, I guess she can't wear the Valentino dress because they would recognize it? Yes. So So she steals a dress to fund a new dress. Jenny at this point has temporarily usurped Blair as Queen Bee. And so now all the mean girls are accepting Jenny as one of them. But it's obviously, it is obvious that she doesn't have the financial means to keep up with their lifestyle. In the same episode, we also see them talking about who's treating who for lunch and Jenny's like, first of oh, all, yeah, you're telling I... me you're not splitting it when you're 15? You're not splitting the check? Well, to be fair, I can't believe I'm saying this, but to be fair, they probably only go to hait restaurants where splitting the check is super frowned upon. See, I'm so poor, I forgot you're that so that poor was a that thing. You forgot that that's a thing. I just flipped my hair, <laughs> kind of unironically. I don't know who I am anymore. <laughs> I'm living in delusional life. One of the friends nonchalantly mentions that their mom has a ton of designer clothes that they never wear. And Jenny's like, cool, guess I'll go steal a dress. <laughs> and she steals it because she doesn't have anything new to wear to whatever bullshit thing. Oh, I think it's her birthday. <laughs> right? It's her birthday yeah. that she needs a dress for. So she uh, does that and then immediately regrets, regrets it because the friend notices right away. And her mom's like, yeah... The dress was stolen, so Jenny freaks out. So the thing is, though, it's the custom Valentino dress, which, for anyone who knows anything about fashion... That is unreal. That is like... It's like stealing an Oscar from someone. Yes. A Valenti Valentino out... Like, Valentino outfits. Valentino gowns run, on average, from five to $10,000 a piece. Yep. So to have a custom one, it's understandable that it was probably accurately described as about $15,000. But 
she steals it she thinks it's no big deal and no one will notice and then of course they notice right away so she immediately regrets it tries to go trade it back at the what do you call it consignment yeah, con yeah, yeah consignment shop and the lady's like no <laughs> Then she calls Nate and asks to borrow $8,000, and Nate is like, are you okay? <laughs> she she manages to get the money. I'm already forgetting how. She manages to get the dress back, and she's going to- I think she steals it back from the consignment shop. No, you're shop. right. She steals it back from there. She wears she's it home. She's a low-key klepto. She wears it home under her coat to hide it and sneak it out of the shop. And then, of course, Blair has concocted a shitty birthday- at her family's apartment and all the friends are there and so she freaks out because she's wearing the dress that she stole from one of them and she has to go in the bedroom and she's crying and freaking out and Rufus is like oh my god what's wrong with you what's happening why are you crying and he has to help her get out of the dress and it won't work and then they all see her wearing the dress and she's she's wearing it and they're like oh my god you stole the dress and I'm like oh <laughs> I need to go have like a glass of wine after we're done with this because <laughs> it is so painful to watch it's very Ooh. cringy and then of course they all hate her and leave but 10 minutes later they forgive her when she brings nate to a bar they agreed to go to and they say like oh you know maybe your mom did sell that dress because they are so excited that a man has been brought to are them. they saying that she can keep the dress no they're just saying that it's like an honest mistake or something it's no big deal that you stole this dress technically twice you brought a hot boy to pay attention to us. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense at all. Like, she should have paid a fine or spent the night in jail. Yeah. Not really, because she's 14. But you know what I mean. But that's what I'm saying. That that's whole, a criminal offense. That whole episode was so fucking crazy. And it stressed me out. I think that's what I'm trying to say. That whole thing stressed me out way more than well, Serena saying, I killed someone. <laughs> yeah, because Serena didn't actually commit a crime. Ginny actually committed she a stole, crime. She stole twice. She stole from... Well, and it, isn't that if you steal more than, like, $500 or something, it's like, it goes from, like, a misdemeanor to whatever, like, a felony? I guess. We'll ask our lawyer friends about it. <laughs> I Stealing $15,000 worth of private property is a huge crime. I wonder if it's different if you do it as a minor... I'm sure you could be tried for an adult for something like that, but... Also, the dress fits her like a glove. So is that girl's mom the size of a very petite and thin 14-year-old yes, girl? Yes, I am certain that most of these girls have anorexic moms. <laughs> okay. No, like, for real. They joke in the same episode about her mom taking a Valium or something. And I was like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. There are so many moments in the show that stress me out way more than Serena being like, I was complicit in someone's death. Not many shows can really... <laughs> achieve that i guess season one is just introducing you to this level of very difficult to grasp privilege and i think that's part of it is the it's a real suspension of disbelief mm -hmm. type thing yeah 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 so at, at the end of season one again we're left with everyone single and we don't know what they're gonna do for season two it's a hard reset yeah i am really looking forward to season three like i said season three is my favorite can't wait to do that episode We'll be on here next time talking about season two. We we really like where um, this new format that we're going to do because we can kind of just squish everything together and really talk about how shit gets absolutely crazy all the time. Because mm -hmm. um, we can leave out all those filler episodes and we can just really get down to business. So next episode, we'll be getting down to business on season two of Gossip Girl. We will see you then. In the meantime, everyone be safe and be groovy. See y'all later. Mm -hmm.